Welcome to Modern Day Missionaries, a podcast by Modern Day Missions created for missionaries by missionaries, where we talk about topics that affect our actual life on the mission field. This is a space where we get practical and personal and talk about the day-to-day real challenges and joys of this crazy life God has called us into. I'm your host, fellow missionary, Stephanie Gutierrez. Wonder how you can prepare well emotionally, mentally, and logistically for your trip back to your passport country? Michael Pollack has some amazing advice that will set you up for success. Welcome to this episode of the Modern Day Missionaries podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have Michael Pollack with us. Michael is a well-known expert in the care of TCKs, which is third culture kids, and he's a coach and consultant the founding executive director of Daraja, which serves cross-cultural and highly mobile families. And he's also the co-author of the third edition of Third Culture Kids, which, if you haven't read it, is the book on understanding TCKs. I have the second edition in hard copy, and I've got the third edition in digital. And Michael, I hope there is a fourth edition coming out at some point with all, this, all the changes going on in this world. There's a lot. And, and actually, yes, Ruth Van Rieken and I have been working toward that for for a year now, we're trying to get some some research settled and some things to to really make it make it ready and 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 right for the fourth edition. Yeah, because there is there's so much changing in this world, not only generationally but globally. I mean, so it's going to be fantastic. I I've, I've read this more than once, and it is the authority. So pick that up, everybody who's listening, if you haven't yet. And Michael, we connected last year when I attended a workshop that you gave on TCKs and. You so kindly let me pick your brain about my family's experience, me being married to an adult TCK and then having two daughters who are TCKs. And I was intrigued by your own fascinating story that I think people are really going to love and connect with. And then you've got some great practical advice for anybody who lives abroad. And I know you and I were just talking before we got started. There are a lot of families who are traveling back to their passport country, I think, more often. There still are the people who do the two- and the four-year furloughs, but there are a lot who are making more frequent visits. And so we're going to kind of delve into that today. What does it look like to go, quote, home? And I say, quote, home, because as you and I know and everybody listening, home is a loaded word. So we're going to talk about preparing emotionally and mentally for a successful trip back, quote, home. But before we jump into our talk, I want to shoot a few rapid fire questions your way just to get us going. So okay. I did not tell you we're going to do this, but we're going to do this and it's going to be great. I know you're prepared for anything. You're, you're, you were telling me there's a bear that's been wandering around your house. So if you're prepared for a bear, I mean, you, you've got this. Okay. Okay, here we go. Michael, mountain, forest, jungle, or beach? Mm, mountain. Mountain. Okay, what is the most unusual food you've ever eaten? I can't, I can't translate the Chinese here on, on this podcast because it's shocking. I have, I have, I drank blood with the uh, Maasai and uh, that was different. Wow. Yeah, you beat whatever I was going to say. It's not, not leveling up. It's just, that was, that was, yeah, that was an unusual experience. Yes. Oh my goodness, for sure. Actually, it was irony. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. What is your best travel tip? Oh, goodness. Travel light. I learned that from my my Chinese colleagues. The way that they travel light is, it's amazing. It just makes things easier. 
Absolutely. Okay. What is your favorite song from your teenage years that you still rock out to when nobody else is listening? <laughs> well, <laughs> from my teenage years, I listened to a lot of Phil Collins in the 80s. Susudio, that was a that was a good bopping song. On the dark side, in the air tonight, when you had someone you just weren't, weren't sure how the relationship was going to go. Yeah. yeah, he still moves moves your soul when you, when you put that song on. Mm. Michael, give us a, a quick background on how and where you grew up. Okay, so this takes a minute, but I'll try to go quickly. So I was born on Long Island. My dad was doing youth work in New York City. Then he took a pastor in New Jersey. So that was the next seven years. I left Long Island when I was six months old. That's why I didn't pick up the accent. And then, then Vermont for a couple of years, then Kenya for three back to a different place in Vermont, Southern Vermont, where I went to high school and uh, my dad was running Interaction. And then when I went to college, my parents also went to college with me because after I had been accepted, the Houghton University offered my dad a position. And he, he did talk to me about it. Well, like, what do you say? Like, yeah, no, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, you can come to college. Dad, I would love for you to come to college with me as I try to become independent. And, and it turned out to be really cool. So from, let's see, Houghton, I, I married my, my college sweetheart. She was born in Sierra Leone, but grew up in Iowa, mostly Iowa. And then we went to Baltimore and we were going to be there for a couple of years while I taught. We started having kids. And so we had, we had two kids and we were going, planning to go overseas. That was our, our plan together. So 12 years later, there's a, a bunch of things that happened in there, including helping to start a school. We, 12 years after that, we headed to Asia and we thought we were heading to Thailand for a, a, about a whole year. And then God shut that door and opened another one. We wound up in Tianjin, China. So we were in Tianjin for nine years. We adopted our third child there. And uh, my wife was doing volunteering at a, a local orphanage. And so we, we met Roanna and we were able to adopt her. And then nine years later, we came back to the States for several different reasons, aging parents, some health things, our kids, our, our middle child then heading into college. And we were in Maryland for a year. And while well, we looked for a place to start Daraja and then landed in Michigan on the, on the, shores, of, on the shores of Lake Michigan in Muskegon. And two years ago, we moved to Greensboro, where my wife is doing, she's a paralegal for refugee immigrant families. Oh my goodness. You did a very good job of summarizing that because that's a lot of story. And everybody listening knows there is so much behind those simple words you just said. Well, and then two weeks ago, we moved to Asheville. So yeah, so we're in a new new house. I was saying before, this, we're, right, we're right actually in a, in a log cabin in Asheville. Hence the black bears that could potentially pop in at any moment. <laughs> that's, that's true. Oh, my word. So you grew up a TCK, and then your family moved abroad. So your kids grew up as TCKs. And now you got a bunch of ATCKs. For people who don't know the terminology, adult nope. TCKs. <laughs> but this, and then your dad wrote the first and second edition with, with Ruth of that book. And then you hopped into the third edition. Is that right? Yeah, my dad and Ruth wrote the wrote the first edition, and then mm -hmm. my dad passed away in two thousand four. So that was at the end of our our first year in China, and so there's a lot of adjustment with that. 
And, and then Ruth wrote the next one where she introduced her CCK model. And when we came back from China, I began working with groups like Families in Global Transition, et cetera, and Barnabas International and others. And she said, you have models and you have experience in this. Would you like to be on the crew for the third edition? So that was the third one was in published in 2017. Which had a lot of changes to it, too, because, again, like we just keep saying things keep changing and evolving. And it feels like the rate at which that's happening is a lot sooner. So I love that you keep keep it current. And that's what you do through through Diraja is you do consulting and coaching in helping people and organizations with TCK type issues, which is amazing because, again, this is my world. I know them. They're interesting, fascinating group of people. So kind of in light of all that, thinking through these TCK things, you and I were saying that with people going back to the States, and maybe it's going back to the States, maybe it's going back to their passport country, because I know at Modern Day, we have missionaries from all over to all over. The bulk would be in North America. But there is this, all these feelings that you have when you think you're going to go back to your passport country. There's a party that feels excited because you get to eat food you haven't eaten in a while see people you haven't seen in a while. There's nerves about all the supporters you need to meet with, how your kids are going to react. It's a really emotional thing. I remember the first time we were going to go back, I was I couldn't sleep for probably six weeks leading up to it, if not longer, with all the nerves. And I don't know how it is for each person, but let's just talk for a little bit about what that looks like, that re-entry shock when someone goes back for a visit, whether they go back for furlough, or to move back there? What are some of the things that you think catch people most off guard? Yeah, for this portion, the question that you asked, I had just just written the word expectations because often the shock, the big shocks come when our expectations are not met or on the plus side when they're super exceeded. We say, oh, I had no idea it was going to be this great. And so both of those happen and it can be very difficult to how do you adjust expectations for things you haven't experienced before? And so that's where leaning into folks who've, who've done it before, networks on, we say, on both sides of the, the pond in your host country and in your passport country, and doing some work to, one, prepare your yourself and your family for the process of moving. And that's the, the process of disengaging and leaving. And then, and then doing some thinking ahead process for where are we going to land what will it look like? What are some reasonable expectations? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting. I talked about people returning to their passport country, but when I think about it, it really could be on the flip side as well. Because like for our family, two years ago, we relocated back to the States, which is now our base. And I remember for the first time we went back, oh gosh, was it a year ago? Back Mm -hmm. to Peru where we had lived for 10 years and it was the reverse process. And suddenly I was going back to what I felt was home yeah. And it was and it wasn't. Uh-huh. And I and to your point, the expectations that you have can really throw you off. And I don't know that there's really a way to have these perfectly correct expectations. When we talk about the mental and the emotional aspect because you don't really know how people are going to react to you. You don't know how you're going to feel. So how could how could somebody prepare as best as they can with getting right expectations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's right. And even some things that are reasonable expectations may not actually come to pass. And in some ways, that's the nature of life. H- how much of life is 
predictable. We like to think, especially in the West, that we can control it and we can plan it and we can have it walk along its trail just as we want to or stay on the tracks that we planned out. But how, how often does it actually happen? So it's a human experience and a big concept to, I think, in the third culture world to grab a hold of is that change happens. Change happens to everyone, internal, external, and, or in a third culture world where you're crossing cultures and there's this high mobility, these life disruptions, that change comes a lot faster. Often we talk about the losses can be vast. Yeah. If you're in, in Peru and you have a way of life and you have things your family does and you, you're feeling at home and then suddenly a quick plane ride later, maybe some train and some taxi in there, but you're in a new culture, in a new setting, your, your practices, your language, your, all these things are different. How do you adapt to that change? So that, so transition, we say, is the, is the process of adapting to the change. And so there are, yeah, there are some specific things that, that can be done. And, and the first is settling the things in your own self that you can take care of. And the biggest research has shown this for, for a long time is to do whatever you can to make sure that your interpersonal relationships are, are in a good place as, as fine a job as you can possibly do. Because when you travel between places and you, and you leave a place, it's easy to think that, hey, I've had these conflicts, I've had these issues over here, but oh, I'm leaving and I don't have to do the community work of putting things right. And one way to think about that is it's kind of like sticking a fish, maybe even a frozen fish in your backpack. It may be okay for a while, but eventually it's going to stink and the people around, it's going to impact the people around you as well. And this has been shown over and over and over through research. So that's the first. And, and the model that my dad created while he was, he and my mom were working in, in Kenya is called the raft. So because it's R-A-F-T, it's a fairly ubiquitous kind of tool. And yet, there are still, there are people who haven't heard of it. I would just say this for those listening who were like, just rolled their eyes. There are places in communities where the raft teaching gets overdone. So you're almost inoculated against it. It's really solid if you, if you practice it. So it's not so much about the raft. It's really about a process that begins with reconciliation. And reconciliation, what's important to remember is that one person cannot reconcile a broken relationship. One person can do certain things that you can do forgiveness. You can, you can forgive or ask for forgiveness, depending on what's taking place. There are different cultural ways and things to sort of offer peace. If trust has been broken, you can even do some of the hard work to rebuild some of that trust. But it basically says, hey, our relationship matters. It, it matters. And, and it's not in a healthy place right now. And, and before we leave, I'd like to do whatever we can to put that back together. The raft model, just to clarify, has to yeah. do with interpersonal communication. And so this is something that it would be good for people to use in doing some repair work, perhaps, on relationships. I'm trying to think for people who have not heard of the raft before, just to give them a little bit of framework as to how to apply it. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me run through the, the acronyms. So the first is that internal work, reconciliation. This, the second piece, it's not so much the communication exactly, but well, this one actually is. You're right. Affirmations is the A. And affirmations is about, about relationships and about letting people know what they mean to us. And again, setting us up for leaving well, but also 
staying connected where we want to, where we can. So that's reconciliation, affirmation. Then the F is farewells, how to say goodbyes and how to do the process of good goodbyes. And there can start to be grief in there. Some people process grief ahead of time. Like you're saying, like the nerves and all of that. Some people process grief in the moment of the loss. It's like the very teary getting on a plane process. And some people wait, kind of store it inside. That's kind of, that's my usual method is, I mean, I don't intentionally do it, but I just kind of get through the things, pay attention. And then on the far side, when it can kind of let down, then I, I do my mourning. So that's the farewells. And then the T is to think destination. It's the, about the work. I think C.S. Lewis wrote this probably, but doing the work of worry. It's, it's not that we want to worry, but there's some work involved in looking ahead saying, okay, what about, what do I need to know? What do I need to prepare? Who do I need to communicate to? Who's going to pick us up from the airport? You know, all those things. Yeah. So, and so that's part of that, that pre, pre-leaving work. Um, that can also be interpersonal because as a family or a single couple or a, a student, right, going off by themselves to university, as they begin to pull away toward that next place, it can feel lonely. It can feel like uh, other people are going ahead with the plans for next year and all those things are happening. And the interpersonal part of that is to, is to have some, um, some buddies who are either also going, so you're in the same boat, or you've just been really close and they're interested in what is happening next for you and how can I pray for you and all of that. Yeah. Okay. Run through those words one more time again. So we've got R is reconciliation, hmm? A is a. affirmation. Uh-huh. And so that's your meals and your, and your parties and your, and it's important. I always say that not only do you celebrate others, but let them celebrate you. Sometimes that is for certain ones of us, that is the hardest part to just be and let them do the surprise parties or invite you out to dinner. So allow that to happen. That's important. Even written ones. Some people, yeah, it's really important to have pictures and writing. And so there's ways to mark that affirmations and then farewells, farewells, eyes and T's think destination, think destination. Okay. This is really practical because you're talking about actual things that you can do, but then it also acknowledges ways that you will feel. And each one of those has an interpersonal connection. You can't do any of those in isolation. So this is something that someone could put into place before they head back to their yeah. passport country. And then also as they are moving from their passport country back to wherever they're from or really on either side of the trip, because you're farewelling on both sides. You're preparing on both sides. Yes. So it's a process. Yeah. And the, and the farewell, um, you, know, you think about it. Sometimes that immediately we think people, you have to, you have to farewell people. And it's also important uh, because place is important. So to say goodbye to, it's, it's the P list. It's the people, yeah. places that are important, pets oftentimes, and for our kids and, and for us too, but sometimes for our kids, there's a really tight bonding with their pets, with our pets. And sometimes in the flurry of things, parents can kind of forget and be like, oh, I gave away your iguana because we're getting on the plane next week. We're trying to find a good place for the dog because we can't take the dog with us. And the kids are like, why can't we take the dog? And so all of that to work through. And then the last P that's kind of a, the official one in the book is, is possessions. Because again, there's sometimes there are attachments, there are memories connected to, to a bicycle or to the play shed or to the treehouse. And so 
so the things that can't go with us to to do a little ceremony to think about what do I want to do with this thing. I I told a story about giving away a, a green giant mountain bike in in China because we didn't have a car, and so most of us on the team didn't have cars. So we did a lot of biking, and this was the one bike that had not been stolen. I lost maybe six bikes. One it only took like an hour and a half. I had just bought it and changed it to the post outside, and it came home. I mean, it came out of the out of the apartment, and there's the chain lying on the ground. Sometime, yeah. I can talk about what I did and what I regretted after that. But <laughs> but this bike, it was very special. And I thought, okay, what do I want to do with this bike? Yeah, I could sell it. Da, da, da. And then I thought of a student who I knew had just had his bike stolen. This is fairly common. So I set up a thing and gave him the bike and kind of made a pronouncement over it and blessed him in his city riding and all that. And it was it was really neat. It was really fun. I also... This is not a P, it's not in the, in the book. It's something I've been thinking about more recently is experiences. Um, so quick story. My, one of my son's desires before we left China was to visit a, a place that in the first five or six years of our time, the whole team had gone to piled on train and buses and trains, and buses again. <clears throat> it's a place called Beidaiha and it's on the coast. North, kind of a Russian feeling city in China. And uh, it was a vacation spot. So, so he said, oh, the last three years, we haven't gone back there as a team. We went to new places. So that's the place I want to go back to. Well, we were really glad that he told us that we started planning that 10 months ahead. He was looking at the calendar and saying, okay, I think here's where we can, here's where we can take that trip. So families often ask, well, what if I'm just hearing this and I'm leaving next week? Do all the things that you can. Make that list, make it a priority, get to those people, get to those, those places, have those last meals, take pictures and say those goodbyes. I really, really like that you mentioned those, Michael, that list of P's because you're, and I love that you went beyond people and, and got into even things like places and possessions because it's funny the things that grab you emotionally. We're talking about mental and emotional preparation. That's and right. it's funny how you just attach to just seemingly odd things. I'm just even listening to you having things pop up in my memory, thinking how every year when we would head back here where we're now living, I always wanted to visit my college campus. I mean, I would think about it. I would dream about it. And then we would come here and there would never be enough time and we wouldn't do it. And there was always like this like missing sadness in my heart that we we hadn't been able to do that. And finally, the last year we did. And it was, it was so satisfying. And I noticed for, for Danny, for my husband, for my girls, they also kind of had these weird little things that they would miss. And obviously you cannot fulfill everyone's wishes or desires on everything, but maybe it's going to Target. I mean, and like wandering the end caps. I mean, I just loved to go walk in circles around Target. I, I felt like something happened to me when I was there. And for somebody else, it might be Walmart. I know Target's kind of controversial right now, but it, like a store or a place or like you said, a, a, a random seeming possession. And somehow it carries this tremendous amount of meaning. And we kind of did this. Uh, I would say the more times we went back in the beginning, we didn't, we made it all about who we needed to see and we ran ourselves ragged. But we kind of started to have conversations as a family. What would be really meaningful to you? What's something that's very important to you? Or like when we went back to Peru. I wanted to see my dentist. I really love her. And I just wanted to see her. And yes, I could get my teeth cleaned in Minnesota, right. but something in me just needed to see her and filled this place in my That's heart. Right. Love that. 
But it's mm-hmm. fascinating to see what your kids say too. And again, not that you can fulfill every wish and desire and need, but it is interesting to mine what's going on in the mind and the heart of each one of us and what is something that would be comforting to us maybe in a way as we make this trip back. Right. So that what a great list. Yeah. And and as you said, sometimes it's just sometimes we don't even really know ourselves until we sit with it for a bit. What's that meaningful thing <clears throat> to do or that that person I've just I've just got to see. No, they're not a close friend, but I'm thinking I'm picturing a a Uyghur couple. So Uyghurs Northwest, uh, Northwest China, but they were all the way east uh, had with a food cart. And it was like a Saturday morning thing. And wasn't the only time, I'll admit, going there um, for Da Bing Ji Dan, but almost I don't know, many, many, many Saturdays. And they became friends. And we, you know, and I thought, I can't leave until I find them because sometimes their cart would move different places. So I find them and I order one last time and tell them how much I appreciate them and love their food and that we're, that we're on our way out of China. I didn't even realize that until, right, until I sat with it. And so same for our kids. And when our kids can prioritize those things, we're like, here are eight things I'd like to do, but oh my goodness, this is the one, this is, or these are the two that are super important. That, that's really helpful for parents as well, ahead of time. Ahead of time, yes. And it can really change from year to year. I mean, like you said, there's just some years where you just feel this need to experience something, to smell something, to taste something, to see someone. And it's it's so often not logical. And so there's the big rocks, sure, of who do we need to see in terms of our fundraising and who do we need to see in terms of family and close friends. But I like kind of what you're saying about making space for some of those other maybe surprising things that fill your soul in a very, very deep way. So we've kind of talked through, okay, some of the practical steps there. What are some things families or individuals or parents could do to prepare their hearts, maybe in conversations they have with their kids or with family members? Yeah. Hmm. So so the heart, <laughs> I think expectations can be there mm-hmm. and, and really bring up a lot of, a lot of feeling. That that wasn't a mistake that the, who's going to pick us up from the airport, because that can be a question like that. Who's going to meet us? Who are we going to stay with first? Can be linked to a deeper. Has anybody missed us? Have we, do they want to, do they want to reconnect? And this was harder before the internet and before Zoom and, and so many ways to, to connect with people. And being face-to-face is still different. And so that sense of, sure, you can't ask the question like, hey, we're coming back. Have you missed us? And will you be there for us? That's a little awkward. But this is the idea of affirmations. You can begin with your side. Hey, we have really missed you. And we're really looking forward to getting together. Here's our, our, our schedule. Does this fit? And sometimes, because sometimes the disappointment and the pain can come from, oh, yeah, person who came to pick us up was the person who drew this short straw and we had to throw ourselves in into this double cab and our gear into the back of this this dirty pickup truck and like how did that happen and i'm I'm not making that up <laughs> that's real oh so, i believe you and that disappointment that you're bringing up is huge uh-huh. because there are times where there's this piece of you that feels okay 
I have bought this really expensive plane ticket back to where you are at and like altered my life. And then people sometimes don't want to rearrange their schedule to see you. And it can feel hurtful. It can feel disappointing. I know a phrase sometimes we would say in our family is some people actually miss us. Some people just miss the idea of us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's painful, but unfortunately, I think it is true to some degree. And and we had to get to be able to be to, to be able to say that without feeling the intense pain of it, because sometimes somebody can can remain a really close friend for a lot of years. And then with time, it fades away. Sometimes somebody who you think was really close, you realize wasn't. And so you want to be tempted to jump into either judgment or anger or sadness, not that you can't feel any of those things, because let's be real, we feel, we're people, we're humans. That's right. So what do I do with those? Am I going to sit in this place of rejection or disappointment or anger? Or am I going to, as another friend always says, go where you're celebrated. All right, so if this one's not going to work out, uh, where's um, a space where somebody would like to see me? And how can we find that magic place where I want to see them and they want to see me? Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I think too, Sometimes the, the sense of what folks are doing overseas, there is a kind of stigma that international travel is glamorous. So this idea of like, oh, well, you're like flitting around the world and now you've come here and you want us to drop everything can be, can be a, a feeling. I've talked some of this stuff True. out and said, oh, okay, yeah, okay, I kind of get that. <clears throat> After like planes, trains, automobiles, all these ways, we got to one, one house. And basically the message was like, and they knew we were coming and we thought it was very like, oh yeah, yeah, please come. It was like, well, you could do something useful and mow the lawn. And I was like, yeah, of course. Sure. Yep. Wow. <laughs> I've traveled for four days to be here. And um, yes, I can sit the riding mower and mow the lawn. So um, because, because what I really wanted to communicate was not like, hey, I'm here. I'm special. You know. You know, let's have a party for me. Exactly. Was I've missed you and I want to connect. And if it like if that's what connecting looks like, then sure, I'll mow the grass. That's great. Afterwards, like we can we cook out? And so and that's the way it worked. And it was it was great. So I just yeah, that's sometimes hard to get to the same place. Also, sometimes it is easy for folks traveling and going through COVID restrictions, all this to get back. <clears throat> to their passport country and think we're the ones who've been having a hard time when <laughs> the reality is everybody's been having a hard time right yes. and and our mantra became grace to self grace to others grace to self grace to others beautiful <clears throat> because we just often we didn't know even the folks we had um, facetime with or zoom with we didn't necessarily know the some of the gritty details that they were going through so it's important to remember that Sometimes people's behavior, it's not that it's unwelcoming. It just may be that they're, that they're overwhelmed. <clears throat> and so that idea of expectations, suspending a bit our judgment <laughs> until, we can, until we can really find out is, is important. number of times in our travels back and forth from overseas, you, we found that, <clears throat> yeah, that friends were just in, friends and, and or family were in really tough, tough spots. So, so giving that time is is important. And, and the communication ahead can also be really helpful. That's that T of think destination. That's a great point, because I think sometimes when we're on the field and kind of that missionary to 
culture, I'm helping mindset. We're like, I am helping, I'm helping, I'm helping. And then there's something about going back to your passport country where you're like, it's time for me to receive now. Like I need some things. And it can be jarring when you go back and realize people in your passport country, they have needs just as much, different kinds of needs perhaps. But I do. I remember when you're going back and our three weeks back, we encountered people in such intense places that we ended up doing kind of just like almost pastoral counseling for three weeks straight. And we went back, I think, more exhausted than when we came. And I think to your point, it's that mental preparation. So when I'm going back, I'm not going back just to receive and get refreshed. I am going back to give and yes, to make spaces to get refreshed. Also, you had kind of brought up where you land, like who picks you up and who you stay with. I think that's key too, because who you stay with, they're, they're going to treat you and react to you differently. And Sometimes those emotions hit you in such big ways when you get back. Sometimes you feel overwhelmed with excitement. Sometimes you just want to cry for like three days. Sometimes you feel angry. If you bring in kids with you, you have no control, especially if they're younger, how they're going to react. So you can be in this home think, and your kids can just be acting out for obvious reasons. They've gone through a lot. And you can feel really embarrassed as a parent trying to control their behavior so people don't think poorly of you. It's a lot of feelings. And so knowing where you're landing, who you're with, even having honest conversations with your hosts. Hey, this is what we're going through right now. I mean, what would be some thoughts you have around that? How can you prepare the people that you're staying with to Mm. experience the gloriousness of all of you? Well, I think the first thing that I would say to that is if there is a way, church, church housing, mission housing, Airbnb, if there's a way for a family to have their own space at least for a week but in transition that that's a really good idea now i mean sometimes it's a landing at a place where grandma and grandpa are going to pamper everybody the expectation is there the expectation is met they want to do this you can fall apart in their backyard kind of idea and it's and it's okay but yeah but to have the weight of trying to outwardly conform or even perform I know a lot of MKs, a lot of TCKs feel that in those situations, there are behaviors that they are supposed to demonstrate and, and that it does feel like a performance. So when can they be off camera? You know, when can they be just themselves? And, and you're right. You're a, there, there's so much that has happened, including depend and depending on where someone has left. Um, so. One way of preparing people is, um, yeah, it is ahead being honest about what you need. Hey, this may sound harsh, but for the first week, we just, we need our own space. We'd like it to be somewhere on the water where we could just sleep and eat and, and, and relax and catch up with jet lag. That's another, that's another piece. Yeah. But also knowing the situation, are you, is this a predetermined coming and going or was it sudden? Did you have a chance to? you know, say goodbye, or were you airlifted out or barred from your city? And I had friends during COVID in Wuhan, who one friend in particular, we we spent some time coaching together where he had taken a a trip with students and staff out of country, out of China, COVID hit, Wuhan locked down. And he was locked out of his city on the year that he was returning permanently, semi-permanently to the U.S. Oh, my so his re- people on the other end, that would be, that's really helpful for them to know. A, 
I'd just been to, he was in another country taking care of all these kids who couldn't go home, trying to f- make sure they got on flights to, to family and that communicating with family who were locked in Wuhan, et cetera. I mean, just crazy things. And so he had all that stress and, and, and then he couldn't go back to his apartment. He couldn't go back and say goodbyes. That's a more intense case, but it highlights the fact that if the folks that you're going to don't know where you're coming from, that it's hard for them to adjust to what you need. If someone can't stay on their own for that first period, staying with folks who are really knowing, loving. I, I, I often recommend, like, if you, if you can't, if three people volunteer to, to house you and one of them is a, is a retired missionary couple, go there, you know, right? Yeah. Other people who understand, you don't have to fill in all the backstory uh, necessarily. So, yeah, and, and people who've seen you at your, at your best and worst. It's really great. I call these the bridge relationships. Folks who, who have been with you on both sides of the home, host, home, host. When someone, when you can sit with people and say, and they can say, how is so-and-so, your, your friend who just became a believer in it, or did, that, did COVID close down that open air market we went to, or has a connection to place and people and culture that you're coming from. That, that can be a beautiful thing. And it can be very affirming, can be really great for kids to have that, to say, you didn't make this up. And you didn't, because even when I say that, when I say you didn't make this up, there have been cases where families have shown up in a small rural place back in their passport country and kids at school have been accused of lying for telling some of their stories and parents have been called in, et cetera. And the parents said, yeah, actually they aren't lying. Um, you know, we did live in this situation and this did happen. And, uh, you know, now can you apologize to my child? You know, um, so yeah. So that when there, when people can connect, there is a, there can be a heart connection with that as well. Uh, just that, Hey, you know, you know, where, where we're coming from. Those are some main things with, with, um, with preparing hearts is, is really good communication. Yeah. And you've shared some great, I think, general strategies, like even making me think more in, in terms of when you make a trip like that, being really intentional about where you're going to stay. And if you cannot find a good place to stay, maybe even putting a pause and thinking through. One thing I didn't realize, gratefully, we had my parents' ways to stay with when we came up. Um, but I know had we not, I, I'm not sure exactly where we would have stayed. And I've realized there are a lot of people and places in the U.S. who are willing to house missionaries and house them well. There's even people who have nonprofits who yes. are willing right. to, to donate their time with Airbnbs. There are people who will have missionaries come on and they happen to also be counselors and they'll counsel you while you're there. There's a lot yeah. more available, I think, than we're then we know about sometimes as independent missionaries. You know, at modern day, we have a lot of independent missionaries. Whereas with your, if you're with an agency, maybe you're more aware. So maybe it's taking the time to do that research. And I'll put some links out there as well on the newsletter that I send out and on this podcast page. But it's great for people to take the time to really think through strategically, where am I going to stay? Because that's a pretty big game changer. Where you stay, that intake place is going to set the tone. And then just thinking through Maybe it's meeting with somebody who's a coach, like I know you're a coach, or meeting with somebody else who specializes in transitions or missions or cross-cultural things and, and getting together a plan for your family. What can we do that will bring the greatest success for our family? But sometimes we, 
the extent of our plan is, I know I need to go to this church, this church, this church, and this church, see this family member, this family member, and this friends. And those are kind of the big rocks, and we build our trip around that. And maybe that's not what totally what our family needs. It's part of what we need, but we need things, like you mentioned in the beginning, those little heart things or those refresh things or things that we think we don't have time for, when in reality, we desperately need them. We've got to have that intake to be able to go forward. So you have shared a ton of practical things. I'm thinking if I'm listening to this and I'm getting ready for a trip, I'm ready to sit down and have a conversation and start putting together a plan. So thank you for everything you shared today, Michael. This was fantastic. You're welcome. Can I make one more plug? Oh, please do. Just that along with with coaching, I think that one of the best movements that that's come in third culture, cross-cultural travel, global workers for care has been the process of debriefing. And I am current, I do some on my own. I've worked with a couple of different organizations, currently also freelancing for TCK training. And there's quite a, would you say a stable? That's not quite the right word, but that's what came to mind. There is a, a, an, excellent, a, an excellent group of um, debriefers working with TCK training and um, that'll do a couple of possible things. You can come to your place, your home. I have met a uh, family in transition. I did, we did meet up at a church and, um, and so, but it's, it, you know, we can come to you and it's a two day uh, intensive. There are also options for doing debriefing on, on Zoom. And there are a number of, and I think, I feel like they're increasing the ones I'm, I'm seeing of where you can go four days, six days, 10 days. And, and if there's an intensive need for, for, for counseling and rest and healing, there are groups like alongside where you, it's like a, either, I think like 10 day or three week, even those resources are out there. And I think that we, what we're seeing in the improvement of people's just of their physical and mental and emotional health, when they're able to go through a debriefing process to process where they have been and look to the future, that is making a really big difference. I'm really glad you brought that up because the whole time I was a missionary, I never heard the word debrief. I found out about debriefing after I had been back for a year. And I'm telling you, that would have been really helpful. At that point, I did plug into kind of a transition seminar that walked me through. And it was a game changer. And we sent our daughter to one with, with Barnabas. So there is, like you said, a lot of different options depending on what it is people need, depending on if they want to go somewhere, whether they want to do it virtually, whether they want to weave it into, you know, for mine, I just made it a part of my day-to-day life. But it's huge. And we just don't think we need those things. I think sometimes we think we're tougher than we are. And we are really tough. I mean, if you're a missionary listening, I'm not taking away from your toughness. You're amazing. But oh my goodness. Yeah. We need someone to love us and walk us through those things because otherwise they'll come and kind of rear their head and knock us down later. And we don't know what's going on. So it doesn't mean that we are not tough. It just means that we are human. And I think all of us can agree that, yes, we are very, very, very human. So thank you for mentioning that, Michael. And again, just can't thank you enough for all that you shared today, just sharing from the richness of your experience. I know we could have talked about a thousand more things. And I think I may have to have you back on again. If, if you're willing, hopefully people can look over the raft that we talked about, some of the different resources that were mentioned, think about how they want to plan things for their family and prepare mentally, prepare their plans and prepare their heart for whatever it is they have next and read Third Culture Kids. 
So good. So good to talk to you today. Yes. Thanks again, Michael. And for everybody listening, make sure to tune in for our next episode. Since 2008, Modern Day Missions has been providing financial, administrative, and marketing services to Christian missionaries around the globe. We're currently partnered with more than 750 missionaries in 75 different nations. If you or someone you know are looking for a nonprofit covering to fulfill your mission's vision, Modern Day could be the answer you're looking for. Find out more at modernday.org.